sometimes we lose the plot in terms of where we're trying to get to in our in our focus of learning. I'm not saying that there's a single destination, there are multiple destinations, but sometimes we limit the destinations of what we're trying to achieve to a very particular goal and often that focus on a extreme narrow goal in, in, in learning, in study specifically of Gemara, can actually start to be quite counterproductive. Often when a person comes into yeshiva, so he becomes assisted often by the external environment, a little bit skills obsessed. He wants to know and to gain fluency in the study of Gomorrah. And that definitely is a goal, but that shouldn't be limited to its narrow parameters. I would like to approach today a topic which is an application of a certain aspect of the study of Gomorrah, but taking it from a very different perspective, whereby the whole process begins when you actually leave the base magician, not when you enter it. And I would like to entitle this experience as reflective thinking. Reflective thinking. I'll start with an introduction. I'll make a statement and then I'll probably stop telling you what I'm going to do in advance and just do it. By nature, our default setting is when we look around and we see the world we never see the world. All we see is ourselves. And the experience of, of going out is never really experience of going out of anywhere. We remain trapped within our selfish shells and the world becomes limited to our desires and wants. I'll give you an example. When you enter into a room and you have a desire for a new watch, all of a sudden, the watches that people bear upon their hands will come to the forefront of your eyesight. You'll say, ah, oh, where did you get that watch from? And all of a sudden, their watches, will, which were previously, before you wanted a watch, invisible, now become visible. Because you want to watch. In other words, what you're seeing is you're not seeing the world around you. You're seeing your desire for a watch. If you have an item that you've lost, you've lost a book. So when you look at the, and the book has a, maroon cover all you'll see are maroon books because that's what you want right now so we governed by these wants and desires and therefore when we look at the world around us and tragically when we look at people people around us all we see is a con if i look if i'm looking for someone to answer me a question and i look around the base major i don't see i see the people who could possibly answer the question if i'm looking for a lift to a place i see people who have cars if I'm looking for a holiday up north, I see the people who have holiday homes up north. And even in an interaction, the points of interest which I find are points which I want. So the entirety of my existence just becomes a projection of what my desires and wants are onto the world around me. And the world itself teaches me nothing. It just is a facilitator for me accomplishing often very lowly and base needs and wants and desires. So we want to try to break out of that selfish cage and 
see the world in a different way. Instead of looking at the world as something which can give me my desires, which can supply me with my wants, it could be that the world can actually do the opposite to me. It can free me from the selfish constriction that I suffer from and liberate me from the shackles of narrowness. And the Gemara actually assumes that we do so. We'll do two Gemaras. Both of the Gemaras focus on the natural world. And perhaps the natural world is a fantastic place to start. Because it's a world that we pass by every day and we have no cognizance of its existence in its real sense unless we want something from it. But Chazal teaches us to look at the world not because you want something from it, but to, and we'll discuss how the process and method of reflective thinking comes into being. But Chazal say that you shouldn't bypass the world. The world is a rich teacher. And every small nuance and every small item within the creation is there to impart a lesson to us. And those lessons are being screamed and our ears are blocked because we refuse to hear them. So I'll give you an example of the Gemara in Erevin says. It quotes four midas. Ilmale loinitna Torah says a Gemara in Erevin. Omar Rabbi Yoichanan. Kufamud base. Omar Rabbi Yoichanan. Ilmale loinitna Torah Yisrael. What would happen if the Torah wouldn't have been given to the Jewish people? How would we have known to approach different areas of life and what the most appropriate behavior would be. So the Gemara says, well, we'd certainly know four directions. We would have learned modesty from a cat. We would have learned theft from an ant. We would have learned not to commit adultery from a dove. And we would have learned how to relate how to build a healthy marriage from a rooster. And then the Gemara goes into describing each and every one of these cre creatures and how they teach us that lesson. For example, the Gemara says, how would we have learned sneers from a cat? So now before we, let's stop there. Let's just, stop. Baruch Hashem, Eretz Israel is blessed with an abundance of cats. Personally, I'm very happy with the fact that there are abundance of cats. Um, my personal appreciation derives from the fact that I've seen mice, but not very many. And the reason why I haven't seen mice and not chasvashan rats is because there are cats. So when I look at cats, even though sometimes they make a lot of noise and they run around, but for me it's quite a secure feeling. But I'm not seeing cats. Do you know what I'm seeing? I'm seeing a chisaron of rats. <laughs> and rats are disturbing to me. So the cats are just a heritimsa to be masalik the rats. Put in the most yeshivish way I can possibly say it. The cats... <laughs> the cats are not there as cats. They're there as rat removers. And therefore, since I don't like rats, so cats exist in as much as there are no rats. Were someone to say, do you know what? All the rats in Eretz Israel have died of falafel poisoning. Could happen. Many a strong fortitude has been weakened by the wrong falafel. <laughs> nevertheless, nevertheless, if, if I would have known that 
so, so then the cats would stop to have their allure to me. I would say they're a nuisance and perhaps report them to the authorities. I mean, they aren't authorities, but theoretically speaking. So I look at the... Now comes along, comes along the Gemara in Erevin and says, when you look at the cat, that's not what you see. You see Tznius. I don't see Tznius. Why? Because what a cat actually does doesn't, doesn't interest me. The fact that the cats are there is just a way of me feeling secure about something that I have. But the Gemara says, no, look at the cat. Okay, so I, go, I go, start following cats. And they're not so easy to follow because cats are Tsanua. How are they Tsanua? That when they, when they um, <coughs> pass emotion, in the words of my mother-in-law, they do so in, in a very, in a very, in a very, in a very appropriate fashion. They hide themselves, and once they have um, delivered the excrement to the ground, they cover it over to make sure that no one's affected by it. So that's a lovely thing to do. That's a lovely thing to do. So I look at the cat and I say, wow, do you know what? I should beat Sanua. Now, if you put me around cats for a very long time, I don't know how long it would take me to have that aura. And that's because when I look at cats, even if I manage to come over, get over the first barrier, which is seeing that cats exist others, other than rat removers, so I actually start to see a cat and I appreciate its feline qualities. But it could be that even, and even if I saw that it goes to the toilet in a very Tsanua way, I don't know if I would think reflectively. I don't know if I'd say, then make the next step and say, wow, that's a beautiful thing. Maybe I should incorporate that level of tsnius into my behavior as well. That's the reflective part. So in other words, until I even get to, 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 let alone the reflective component of interacting with the universe around me, I'll probably be, I'll be obstructed by my ones that I don't even get to see what's in front of me. So first of all, we have to climb out of the cage of selfishness to see the world. Then we have to look at the world. Then we have to see how the world operates. And then we have to reflect the operation upon ourselves. Now that becomes an entire work. Because, let's say I look at a crow. So now I look at a crow, and crows are ghastly animals. I don't know if you've seen them. They're ugly. They've got big black beaks. They are horrible, dirty gray color. They look evil. They look like they're something which is some miniature that escaped from the Lord of the Rings. A miniature. Um, they're not pleasant animals to be around. So, so I should look at the crow and say, well, vice dois, Yiddish for, let's assume from this, I should become horribly dressed and I'll put on only black and white and look rather, look rather gray and squawk loudly and be generally obnoxious. Why should I learn sneeze from a cat? Why don't I learn cruelty from a crow? Why don't I go to the Kruger National Park, the jewel of Africa, other things are called the Jewel of Africa, but we'll call it Kruger Nash. It's a huge open expanse of um, bush that's been left completely undeveloped since time immemorial. And you enter into the car, and if you're a foreigner, 
you drive through at the speed of approximately 50 to 60 kilometers an hour and you can't understand why South Africans are so obsessed with, with going to the bush and seeing animals because you don't see a single thing. And then you do this for four days and you leave and then you get home and people say, so what did you see? And you say, I saw nothing. So you said, didn't you even see impala, which are prolific? So you say, no, nothing. So you say, well, how fast are you driving? That's all we're driving at 60 kilometers, 50 kilometers an hour. So they say, well, do you realize that you can't see anything unless you're going at 30 kilometers an hour? And then, in hindsight, they experience something which we should experience as chiva, which is called charata. But for the skilled, for the skilled game watcher, you get into the car, you start to drive very close, slowly along that road, and what happens is you look at a, at a landscape and there will be nothing there. You won't see a single thing. You'll see a few rocks in the distance and you maybe see a tree nearby and then you stop and you focus and the tree you just see a flicker and then all of a sudden the tree becomes a giraffe and the camouflage is so magnificent that you didn't see in front of you there was a giraffe and in the background which appeared to be a group of boulders is a herd of buffalo but the way they are made to blend into the landscape is so breathtaking that if you don't stop and focus you actually won't see them so it's actually a very good training in seeing that but let's say so and I I'm going at the correct speed and I see amongst the bushes something which looks like a rock and I look more carefully and it's a pride of lions. So now I have to learn, I have to be reflective. So what will I learn? I'll learn that you should be when you see someone else you should pounce on them and lure them to pieces before they die. I'll learn cruelty from the lion. I'll learn strength from the lion. Why does the Gemara say you'll learn sneers from a cat and you'll learn not to steal from the ant. Maybe I'll learn to steal from the hyena. Hyenas are terrible thieves. All the scavengers are. I'll learn how to be really horrid from the vultures. That when someone's you know, vultures, you can have a vulture in, often you have vultures, especially at, at, at events which have good food and Bochum attend them. You get the vultures over the sushi table. So you get the sushi table, and then you get the person who's got six pieces of sushi on his plate. But there's a suffix that once he finishes them, he may want more. So he hovers around. <laughs> he hovers around the table, waiting to pounce and to find the perhaps carcass of a dead sushi. So, so, so we have a, we have a Shiloh again. First of all, step number one, break out of yourself which you have seen in the world and see that there's actually a world that doesn't only become a manifestation of what you want. So now you see the world. But now we have to think, well, and now we have to learn the lessons of the world. Great. Step one, break out. Done it. We see the world. We look and we see a tree. And the tree is not relevant to us. We have no desire. So we can actually see a tree. And we can appreciate its color and its form and its, and its, and its growth and its brilliance and its... So we see the tree. Step number one, seeing the tree. Step number two, understanding the tree. There's leaves and there's branches and the significance. We've discussed many times the palm tree. Sadik Katama Yifrach, you look at a palm tree. Manishtana, a palm tree. Azem, we call our palm trees and we call other trees. A palm tree is a tzaddik. So why is a palm tree a tzaddik? A palm tree is a palm tree. It's not a tzaddik. No. Tzaddik Katama Yifrach. Palm tree grows the way a tzaddik grows. How does a tzaddik grow? Well, you look at a palm tree, and taka palm tree is so distinct from every other tree. If you look at all other trees, so the way they start off with a central central trunk, and then they diversify into a series of branches, and that creates the the body of the tree. A palm tree has no body. There's no single branch which goes out from the trunk. 
it remains a steady singular trunk and it does grow branches the branches grow out to either side of these gigantic leaves and then they die and then the next stage of the palm tree begins and it grows out to the sides and then they die and then the ne- and that's actually how the palm tree grows so I look at the palm tree and I say tzaddik tommy I'm going to find the tzaddik in the palm tree ah so well first of all you see that the growth of a palm tree is made up of a series of increments it's incremental it grows stage after stage after stage after stage and the way the growth occurs is it gets to the point where it, it puts out it grows into two into different directions and it puts out koyach it expends effort and strength and it develops into two different directions and those directions don't go anywhere they die but when they die it lifts him up to the next level. Tzaddik, Sheva Pa'amim, Yippo, Overcome. A Tzaddik falls down and gets up, falls down and gets up. It's not that there's a Tzaddik who succeeds and he never falls. And there's a Tzaddik that falls and gets up. No, 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 no. A Tzaddik is defined by falling and getting up, as you see in the palm tree. What a Tzaddik does is he tries one thing and it fails. And he goes back and he tries something else and it fails. And he goes back and he tries something else and it fails. That's the process of life. But... There's a singular focus that the tzaddik has. So he never gets turned, he never gets pulled off his derech. He goes, he, the reason why he expands is because he thinks he's found a way of growth and then he sees it directing him in the wrong direction so he retreats and he comes back to the center. And then he does it again. And every time he does that, he excludes a different possibility and he comes closer and closer and he goes higher and higher. So I look at the palm tree and I see the science of growth. But if I'm not looking through the eyes of a London, I see a palm tree and I say, what a waste of a tree. There's no shade. Because then I'm not seeing the tree, I'm seeing myself. I want shade. There's no shade. It doesn't exist. What's bad? So my evaluation is based on my own personal desires. I see nothing. All that I see around the world is myself. So therefore, a person has to, first of all, break out of the selfish perspective and see. Then when you see, you have to learn up. So now, we diversify to a palm tree, but let's go back. So I have to learn sneals from a cat, gazelle not to steal from an ant, and how to be a tzaddik from a palm tree. But why don't I learn to be cruel from a lion, as we originally asked, or to be black and white from a penguin? Oh, maybe I do. <laughs> so why is that? Why do you, how do you know what to learn? How do you know what to learn? How do you pick and choose? So you see that the perception of the world is not only do you have to learn up the mechanism, not only do you have to reflect it on yourself, but now we have a third stage in this complicated, sophisticated process of engaging in the world around us. And the third stage is we have to reflect the right lessons and deflect the wrong lessons. So how do you differentiate, how do you choose what to incorporate and what to dispel from the natural world around you? So, that's a question which, which, which is a basic question. And that actually... presupposes involves the original process. Now, I realize what I just said was completely cryptic. Let me explain. 
What we're saying is as follows. A person's stum setting. When you go out into the world, you see nothing. All you see is yourself. If you're hot, the tree's good because it has shade. If you're cold, the tree's bad because it has shade. So all you see is yourself. When you break out of your selfish desire, what you're essentially doing is you're saying, I'm above the animal within. I'm not pursuing my own creature comforts. I'm extending myself beyond my mere physicality and I'm ex- acknowledging the existence of a transcendent self of something which can't be encapsulated by the natural laws of cause and effect something which is counterintuitive to the laws of survival something which doesn't make sense in a dog-eat-dog society that's what I'm doing so then when I go into nature in that state of mind nature speaks to me in that language if I go into nature as a selfish, brutal being, so I'll look at a lion and I'll say, I'll feel the resonance between me and him. All I want is my tivers. All he wants is his tivers. And I'll learn for, from a lion to devour. Because he's behaving like an animal, I'll behave like an animal. But if I enter into the world, breaking out of my selfish shell, So then I've already acknowledged the existence of the transcendence of my being. I'm above the physical. I'm not reactive to my desires. I'm not an instinctive animal with a big brain. Rather, I'm something that's value. I can rise above the temptations of the flesh. When I look at the world, it will teach me, it will speak to me in that tongue. So when I look at a crow, he won't speak to me because cruelty is part of my lower self. So I'll say, a crow is cruelty, that's something I should dispel and distance myself from. But when I look at a cat, and it is something which is counterintuitive, it's not natural, why should he go and find a place which is silent and quiet to do his deed? He should do it in the open, it's more convenient. But nevertheless, the cat goes out of its way to be tiny and to be caring. That lesson will speak to me. When I see a hyena scavenging and stealing, it doesn't speak to me because that's my natural animalistic part of self. When I see an ant desisting itself from thievery, that speaks to me. You following me? So that's how you learn what to learn and what not to learn. Because your state of being will actually prescribe the lessons that you gain from the world around you. Now it goes one stage further. Essentially what it means is this state of being is transcendent in as much as it's a removal of my animalistic self in the way that I get into the creation around me. But it's even more than that. It's an emuna. The emuna is as follows. When I look at a cat and I see the cat is tanua, I have a completely different view of what midas are. One could think that midas are the way which makes society viable. Don't steal, because if everyone steals, you have anarchy. Be tanua, because otherwise people will be revolted and disgusted. If so, those midas are not intrinsic, but circumstantial. Whereas, whereas, if I see that the midas is in the bria, it's in the creation. So then I understand it's not a function of society to create a viable living order. It's something which has meaning as an absolute. When I learned sneers from a cat, 
I'm not only reflecting on the world as being a means of transcendence so I can grow beyond my animalistic self. I'm acknowledging that there's absolutes in Midas and that there are certain things which are good because they are good because they are good because they are good. And even if there be no one offended by my lack of news, I still have to be Tsanua. And even if there be no one that we bothered by my little theft, I still can't steal. Because those things are intrinsic. Those things are... And that's what it means if Torah wouldn't have been given meaning if Torah wouldn't have defined absolute right and wrong we could have gained knowledge of absolute right and wrong from the creation itself it's astonishing Kiddush you following me? kind of not really at all that's stage one now let's just focus on one thing going to end. Shleim HaMelech Shleim HaMelech Shleim HaMelech says the following thing Leich El Hanamole Atzel O lazy one the O perhaps is me Leich El Hanamole Atzel Go Go to the ant O lazy one See the ways of an ant and become wise. There's no one in charge giving orders to ants. And nevertheless, the ant prepares in the summer its bread, its food, and stores away in the time of harvesting its provisions. So show me my says, go to the ant. Go to the ant, Atzal. Let's describe what an Atzal is. An Atzal is a person. Atzalus means that I have potential locked up inside of me. I've got all the potential inside of me. And for some reason, it ain't coming to the surface. I could be great in many different areas, but I would just rather stay in bed. I could be knowledgeable but I'd rather not think and go through the toasters again or do Chazorah I could be kind but I can't be bothered because I'm I'm sitting down now so you've got all this greatness inside of you but there's such a power there's such a pool of a some type of emotional gravitational force that keeps me locked inside of myself and the potential that I have cannot be revealed that's Atlus. Do you know where you should go? Go to the ant. Why do you go to the ant? Tell you why. Atlus is this oppressive power inside in pushing down on a person. Whenever you have an oppressive power which is pushing against you, in order to overcome that, so if there's something powerful, a powerful force which is waging itself against you, in order to combat it, you have to have tremendous strength and might. So the opposite of Atlus which is Rizus is equated with Koyach, with power, with strength. So I say, come with me. Come with me, you lazy person. And I want to show you an ant. He says, why? Why would you take me to the ant? The ant? Yes. I want to take you to an ant. Because if you think about where the most unlikely place for Zrizus, 
this powerful, gigantic, triumphant strength to be located, the least likely place for it to exist would be in a tiny, feeble creature. One would think that Zuzu should be in a jaguar, in a mighty, mighty leopard, in a, in a cheetah, the Fuchois, in a gigantic gorilla. So, you know, leave the big beast aside. You don't even have to go to the Kruger Park. All you have to do is go to the kitchen. <laughs> and look at them, you'll find ants. But ants are these pathetic, feeble creatures. Yes, that's exactly the point. That's exactly the point. You look at yourself and you say, listen, I can't achieve. I can't do it. I just don't have the strength. So come with me, my friend, to someone that doesn't have the strength. An ant has no strength. And look what he does. And look at how he works. And now you see a new definition of product, a new definition of Zrizos. Zrizos doesn't mean alacrity. Zrizos means productivity, as we'll soon see. So you go to the place which is the most unlikely for the strength to be located, and the message given to you is, in reflective thinking, wow, if this tiny creature can, can, can overcome, can display a show of strength, I, that have much greater strength in store, I'm much, much, much more powerful than this, surely I can overcome the forces which are waged against me. So you reflect the ant's lesson onto yourself and you become a Zoris. But then you go and you look at the ants some more. And you study them in depth as the Medrash goes on and says. You go to the ant and you look and you say, you know, the ant, these ants are amazing. They, um, what they do? So they, they don't have anyone in charge of them. But they're extremely organized. They store food. An ant only lives for six months. In the course of that six months, it eats a grain of a wheat, uh, one grain, uh, one and a half grains of wheat. However, in its ant hole, it has three, three layers. Top, middle, and bottom stories. It works fastidiously throughout its entire lifetime. And what it does with what it has is it eats a tiny amount, but it stores an enormous amount. It, it, it fills up this, this, this storage house and the funny thing is the storage house that it fills up is the middle the middle level and it leaves the top and the bottom levels completely empty now we don't have time to go further but we'll just focus on that so now imagine that you're now walking and we're looking at ants so first of all my biggest decision when seeing an ant would be should I squash it or not Again, I don't see the ant, I see myself. Is it inconveniencing me? Should I get the ant spray? Ants becomes a sugar of pesticide. But you don't see an ant because it's an inconvenience. I don't like little black chochos all around me. Chochos being a Afrikaans term for a little bug. But something you could incorporate into vocabulary. It's a lovely word. But if I look at the ant, I suddenly see a world. Now look at the... Look at the in terms of, of Chazal's approach to the ant, what type of world they saw and how they reflected that in terms of their own growth. So you see this ant, and this ant does with its life way beyond what it's meant to do. Essentially, an ant could need to eat one and a half pieces of wheat, one, one and a half grains of wheat. So in its lifetime, it should get that one and a half grain of wheat and then sit back, take out a, for an ant, 
gigantic but vast tiny piece of straw and put it in the left side of its mouth and suck on it and gently nibble away at that piece of wheat for the rest of its life. Doesn't do that. Keeps on going, keeps on going, keeps on going. And then there's a whole different Kiddush which we have to say that the Gemara says because the ant says maybe Hashem will decree upon me life and I will live longer. Which is, which is another fascinating point about the, the core of Zeus but unfortunately limited in time. So the ant goes and it, it, it works prestigiously non-stop frenetically and it keeps on storing, 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 storing more. Now you look at the ant and you say hmm it's amazing what's the ant teaching me? Well it's teaching me I have to be productive. But what's it teaching me with its location of where the food is? Well, okay, let's think about this. I'm looking at this ant and I'm thinking, um, why doesn't it put it on the top and why doesn't it put it on the bottom? Well, ha! It doesn't put it on the bottom because the food, the, the storage base is not appropriate because it's too close to the earth and it may go rancid, absorb the moisture. If you put it on the top, it's too close to the soil and it also may get drenched. So I'll put it in the middle, which is the most, the most secure. So then I think, wow, look at this ant. This ant is extremely active, but you see that it's not only that he's moving the whole time, that he's producing something which will last. So when I learn the lesson from the ant, I don't only learn, as you look at an ant and you see they're moving quickly, to move quickly. That's not the point. I move quickly with direction, whereby what I do completely and totally extends beyond myself and my needs and creates a system where I've produced something lasting way beyond the narrow parameters of myself. So I say, wow, that means if I'm focused in my little life, I can actually generate way more than life would naturally suggest. Because if you think about it, the ultimate thing, the thing which lasts, as the Mishnah Pirk Avis says, when a person dies, not his money, not his gold, not his silver, accompanies him. The only thing that accompanies him is his trained mitzvahs. So those are the ultimate, those are the things which last the longest. So I look at an ant and I get a whole musa share. He tells me that I have to be engaged. He tells me that I have to be active. He tells me even with limited strength I can overcome. And he tells me, when you're doing all of that, do it in a direction which will be productive and long-lasting. And I walk away from the ant hole, a changed person. Because I, I, I've learned the art of reflective thinking. And the initial decision to be transcendent and not to limit myself to my own selfish needs and desires opens me up to a world which at every corner teaches me a new lesson which gives me a new handle to climb the mountain of true perfection. But I need training in doing that. The training has two components to it. The first part is the desire to be rid of the loneliness of self to, to a certain degree, at least long, to extend ourselves beyond the basic, boring, mundane parameters of this very dreary physical life and to have something richer, more creative, more multicolored than just going about the rote of life, day of. There's a whole, whole universe when you enter into the transcendent part of yourself so the limitations completely subside 
and you can have ultimate freedom. So I have that intention, but then I have to develop my mind. Because if I don't have a sophisticated way of thought, I'll look at the ants and I'll say, Look at the ants over there. Whoa, look at them going up and down, and down and up the walls. I have to be able to extract the lumbus of the ants. I have to look at the ants and I have to learn up. What's the chidush? Where does it come from? What's the kasha? What's the derets? So, as we began, Sometimes people get caught into, I have to learn the mind, I have to get learning skills, and they don't realize that you're preparing yourself for the art of living life. And the more well-tuned, the finer-tuned, the more refined, the better you are at developing those skills, the more access you have to the world around you, the more you can creep out of the gorilla suit that surrounds us and see a world which transcends time and space even in its very physical manifestation you can be transcendent by going and watching cats and ants and chickens and doves and the Gemara is just telling me a few examples it's not saying that this is all that you can learn from you can learn from everything like the palm tree and the truth is you can learn from a seed as well and an acacia and from a lowly piece of soil and from the clouds in the sky and then from the sun and from the moon and from the people around you, kosher cane, and from a table, and from a chair, and from a, everything. But you have to learn the art of reflective thinking, and defining and refining the thinking skills is one part. Getting out of our narrow cage is another part. And with that, we can have a much broader expectation of where we can get to in life and how we can grow. If we actually succeed in doing this, we can become big people. Big people meaning we can see that there's a world outside of our narrow, tiny selves. We can expand. If we don't do this, so a person can be on this earth for 120 years, be very busy the whole time, and die, and he never would have seen a single thing around him but himself. And that would be a, a terrible, terrible, Thank you.